Welcome home. Glad you're here. Thank you for braving the elements. My name is Tom. Children may be dismissed for Children's Church. Go have fun. Uh, learn the gospel. Come back. Teach us something. It'll be great. All right. We'll see you later. Um, how you doing? Good? Good? Local? It's good. Um, I'm losing my voice. I know some of you are thinking you might get out of here early today. Yeah, I wouldn't bet on it. Um, message is called Life is Worship. I will give you a free tip. Vicks liquid cold and cough formula raspberry flavored tastes nothing like raspberry. Absolutely nothing. Um, so many reasons to come to this church. My goodness. Well, uh, if you have a Bible, Romans chapter 12, that's where you want to be. Please open there. We're going to be talking about worship. If you don't have a Bible, you can look under the seat in front of you. Um, that's yours to keep if you need one. We'd love for you to take it home and read it and be changed by it. Um, Romans chapter 12, verse, we'll read the first two verses together. Here we go. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's look at verse 1 again. Look what Paul who wrote this book, this letter to the Roman Christians, to the Roman church. Look what he's doing here. He's, he's pleading. He's pleading. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's pleading with them to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's what Paul's doing. He's pleading with the Roman believers to make their entire lives about Worship, to make their entire lives about worship. Now, Paul could have picked any number of things, any number of things to make his plea about. Why worship? Is worship really all that important? Well, worship is a word that we use very often in a church setting, but not very often outside of church. So, what is Paul saying? Paul's saying worship does not simply belong in the first half of a traditional church service or when you're tuned into uh, Christian music or you're singing along with praise music. It's bigger than that. Worship is bigger than that. That's why he's pleading with them to get worship right, to, to create a life of worship. Worship is the key to the life of faith that you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, have always wanted but have never attained. It is the key to the life that God wants for you, is drawing you to. Worship is the pathway to a level of joy that you didn't even know you had the capacity for. Worship can usher you into a continual experience of Jesus Christ through the filling of the Holy Spirit that will absolutely rock your world. It is, if you get worship right, it will line you up. It will line you up with the glory that Jesus alone deserves. And verse 2 tells us 
that it lines you up with the will of God, with why you were created. It's a beautiful thing. That's what happens when we get worship as life. Not just this song, not just as a chapter of a church service. That's what happens when we get worship right. What happens when we get worship wrong is it utterly destroys our lives. So rather than just leave it there, we'll take some time this morning to look at how we can get life as worship right and and leave behind all that life-destroying stuff. Okay, that's what we'll do. First, one of the things that, that we need to just, just lay as a foundation is that we are all, every single one of us, are experienced worshipers. Every single one of us is experienced, regardless of whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ, have been for years, or become one this morning. You may be an atheist. You may be agnostic. You may be even vegetarian. You are an experienced worshiper. You don't believe, some of you don't believe me, but God, you are, did you know, your life is worship. Say it with me, say it with me, you got that? Say this. My life is worship, say it with me. My life is worship. Good, they're small words, you can say it. My life is worship. Your life is worship. Did you know you are a continual, nonstop, 24-7 worshiper? You are. God created you to worship, and you do it, whether we're conscious of it or not. We are worshiping. That's the stuff that we're made of. Every moment of every day, every person, you, me, Lady Gaga, Simon Cowell, and everybody in between is worshiping someone or something. Every moment of every day, you and I are worshiping something or someone. Here, when we sing, as we just did, in church, we're here to worship Jesus. So let's start there. Let's start there. What is worshiping Jesus? Is it music? Is it music? Is it songs? It's lyrics? It's bigger than that. It's got to be bigger than that. You can't contain it in a song. There's never been a song written. A hymn, a chorus, whether it's 200 years old or 20 minutes old. There is no song that can contain the fullness of worship of, of the Godhead. There is no song. It's bigger than music. It's bigger than songs. It's bigger than raising your hands. It's bigger than clapping. It's bigger than that cute little pseudo mosh pit thing you got going on here. <laughs> now it can include all those things and it often does because those things are biblical and those things are beautiful. Okay, the mosh pit thing, not so biblical, but it's still beautiful. <laughs> it can include that, but it's so much bigger. It's so much more. It's so much more than a song. It's a life. It's the connection that you have to God as you pour out throughout all your life. 
whether you're here or not. Your affections, your devotions, your, your adoration, your praise, your appreciation, your utter value of God. Worship has to be more than that. It has to fill our whole lives. And we'll see why in a minute. Worship, we're going to give you a couple of definitions to hang on to if these reach you, if these help you. Worship is putting Jesus in his place. Worship is putting Jesus in his place, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, on our lips. Worship is putting Jesus in his place as King of kings and Lord of lords. God above all gods, our Savior, Redeemer, and friend it is putting Jesus in his place as the source of our life and our reason for living, as the source of everything good, as the source of all our joy, as the reason that we get up and breathe and go and love and do. It is the culmination. It is putting Jesus in his place as our ultimate treasure and our greatest joy. That's the worship that fills a life. And you're going to see why that's essential. Worship is treasuring and enjoying and celebrating Jesus in all things, at all times, everywhere, no matter what we're doing. And in that is a win-win. See, in that Jesus is glorified with the praise and the worship he alone deserves, and it lines you up with the reason you were created, the purpose, the divine purpose that you were created for. So it benefits him when he calls us to worship. It's not only because he's worthy. He is. But it's also because that lines us up with his will, his good and perfect will, as we saw in verse 2. John Piper says this. For what is worship if it is not our joyful feasting upon the banquet of God's glory? I love when they equate it with food, don't you? (laughs) Worship is What is worship if it is not our joyful feasting upon the banquet of God's glory? That's awesome. Tim Keller puts it this way. The English word worship comes from the old English word worth-ship. What is it worth? And so he goes on and he says, so worship is seeing Jesus for what he's worth and giving him what he's worth. It is seeing and grasping the beauty and value of Jesus in such a way that we want to line up and live every moment of our lives in accordance with that. Seeing and grasping the beautiful and ultimate value. So let's go back to Romans 12.1. Here it is. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, you see that word, therefore? See that? Whenever, it's a little Bible study tip for you. Another free thing. Okay. Whenever you see the word, therefore, go and figure out what it's there for. Okay, he's referring to something he already said. So you got to go back. Yeah, but that's in another chapter. That's the end of chapter 11. You got to do it. You got to do it anyway because, you know, the, the chapter numbers and verse numbers, those were not put there by God. Those were put there by scribes to help us study and refer so we can all stay on the same page in verse and stuff. 
So it's not like Paul was writing this out and he's like, my hand hurts, my butt hurts, this is getting old. I'm gonna make this the end of chapter 11. Football game's on, I want some power stop wings, a Diet Coke and a nap. We'll start again later. No, it's just one continual message, one continual truth, one continual communication. So we go back. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Why? Go back. If you don't go back, this is what happens. People take verses out of context. They'll rip them out of context. They'll get all these favorite verses, and they'll make a collage. They'll make like a theological collage of all the things they want to believe, and they'll smash them all together. And they get some whacked out theology. I'm not kidding you. Like, like Jesus came and he died and he rose again so that they could have a wife that looks like Megan Fox. They could have a house that looks like MTV Cribs. They get a bank account that looks like Bill Gates. They get kids that look like models who, who are great at sports. They never need braces. They never take off half their clothes while you're eating dinner at Garlic Mike's. All because, all because they ripped it out of context. You see? Go back. So we go back. What's that there for, there for? Romans 11.36. Little rant. This is why. This is why all of this. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. When we see to him be the glory, that's the worship. Oh, yeah, forever. All things. Say it with me. All things. That means all things? Yeah. That means you? Yeah. That means me? Yeah. All things from him, through him, and to him are all things. Do you see this? The universe, everything you've ever seen, everything you haven't seen, has a God-oriented direction. He is drawing all things to himself. He created them. He sustains them. He's drawing them back to be recreated and redeemed and set free from the fall and all the things that wreck our lives. And you, the call to make life worship is the call to be swept up in the ultimate spiritual current that God has put over everything, all things in the universe. And we fight it. We're like, why is my life a wreck? Because he's calling you to his arms to see the ultimate value, to see and treasure so that your heart, so that your whole life may be consumed in worship that lines you up with who he is. It lines you up with everything that he wants for you to do in you, not just now, but forever day and forevermore. The path that you're looking for in your job, in your home, in your finances, in your relationships, in your confusion, in your sorrow, in your sickness, in your suffering, in your joy, in your marriage, in your parenting, in everything.
calls us to worship, it lines us up with his worthiness and everything that he wants to pour out in your life. Life is worship. Let's lift his name, huh? We'll be back to talk about the second part of that verse, but let's pour out our hearts, shall we? Saints around the throne 
how can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes shouting your name. I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart. I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart. Yes, I'm loved by the King, and it makes my heart want to sing. guys we do and we pray and we plead and we work for your blessing and joy and that's why we're going to do verse 2 of Romans uh, 12 so if you're there um, this is a warning it's warning from Paul to the Roman church it's a warning for us that God gives us um, for all of us for me for Matt for um, Ryan for the whole church and there's a landmine here we have to we talked about getting worship wrong, and here, here, here's uh, what he's saying. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, to this culture, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's the part where we talked about lining you up, right, with the will of God, with your purpose, with your calling, with, with the life that he created you to live. Here's something that will derail and destroy that. And so Paul is saying, do not, whatever you do, don't be conformed to this world. And the word world is, is culture. Don't worship like they do because they are worshiping. We all are worshiping. Don't do it. What does it mean in a place like Gunnison? I would say here that most people believe there's a God, yes? Most people in town at the college that you work with would say there's a higher power, even if I don't know or call it by name or there's a God. I think people would... Most people would say that they, they grasp that. So as far as that goes, they have some grasp of God's existence. But we talked about life is worship being dependent on us seeing 
and grasping the value and the beauty and the ultimate treasure that is Jesus Christ. So those who are not followers of Jesus Christ, who have not seen nor have grasped all that he is, all that he is, um, aren't capable of that. They don't see yet. They don't grasp yet that the creator God who loves them dearly was brokenhearted when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned. And when we fell by nature and by choice to choose our own way rather than his way, when, when we separated ourselves by thoughts, words, and deeds from God and his holy purposes for us. And he was so brokenhearted that he was holy. He had to judge that. He can't be near that. But he did not want his children, his creation to go unredeemed. So he came. He came as man, as Jesus, lived the life that you and I failed to live, could not live, died the death, paid the penalty on the cross for our sins in our place as our substitute and rose again for our salvation and is coming again to recreate and redeem. And he will reign forever and ever. And he's starting that recreation in people's hearts. Yours and mine. Anybody who will come. Because they haven't seen, they haven't received, they can't, they can't pour out that worship. So what happens? They're like the couple. Imagine if you're 80 years, 80, late 80s, there's this couple that appears on Antiques Roadshow and they tell this story that they have lived their entire lives in abject poverty. You know, they're like eating cat food in their leaky roof. But they've always had this dusty picture that they've always ignored but never really knew if it was worth anything. And they bring it in, and it's a Picasso, and it's worth $75 million. And they're close to death. I made that up. Don't, don't like scroll on YouTube and try to find it. And now all they can do with the money is buy insure. You know, it's too late. Many people don't know, haven't grasped the treasure that Jesus is. And so what happens? What happens? They end up worshiping something else. And it's absolutely heartbreaking what happens. It is absolutely heartbreaking. We're going to take a look at what happens. Here's Romans 1. Turn to Romans 1. We'll pick it up in verse 25. Or 21, rather. You need to see this. We'll move quickly. For although they knew God, they knew about God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him for everything in all things at all times. They didn't worship him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And look, they're exchanging things. They're trading things. Watch this in verse 23 and then again in verse 25. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man birds and animals, creeping things. Therefore, they gave, God gave them up to their lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves. Because here's again, they exchanged 
the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served. See, there's a lot of worship going on here. There's worship going on, whether in church or not, whether they're following Jesus Christ or not. There's worship going on here. They worshiped and served what? The creature or the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Here it is in a nutshell. Because they don't see and they don't grasp the ultimate beauty and ultimate value and ultimate treasure of Jesus Christ. They attach their worship to not Jesus, but Jesus' stuff. Good stuff. Nice stuff. Beautiful stuff. But stuff that was created to point us back to him. You get it? Are you following? Okay. And those things, as beautiful as they are, whatever that is, can't sustain their worship. It can't hold it. It's not worthy of it. And so things break down. When the thing you attach ultimate value to can't hold that ultimate value, you have to do something. You need more of that thing that has never satisfied you. You need different things. You need another marriage. You need another partner. You need a better job. You need a bigger house. You need kids that will finally measure up to what you want for them, that to what you need for them to prove that you are as a, hus- as a, hus- as a dad, as a mom. You need more comfort. You need more ease, more recreation. Whatever that thing is that can't hold your worship, that's how it spins off into sin. Here's what happens. Pick it up in verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithful, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Man, whew, 32. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Here's what most religious people will do. Here's what a lot of churches will tell you to do. See that list of sins? See all that list of sins, you know? You be evil, you be murderous, strife, deceit, malicious, gossip, all that. Stop it. Stop doing that. Do better. Stop doing the bad things. Start doing the good things. It's a checklist, right? How whacked is that? Because it's a totally against the word of God. What God's word is saying here, you can clean up those problems, but you just be trading them for something else. The reason these things exist is a worship problem. You've attached your worship to something that is not worthy of worship. And this is just the fruit. So if you kill off all the fruit by just trying to do better, do better, do better, it doesn't get at the root, which is the object of your worship. And if the object of our worship in our deepest heart of hearts is right, 
then that stuff will die off. And what will come is an overflow of God's presence, God's joy, and the faith, and the life that he has created you to have. Don't listen to anybody who starts telling you that the way to follow God is stop, 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 stop. Do, 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 do. That's the law. And Jesus didn't have to come die on the cross for people who could just do better. He did it to pay the price for those who couldn't do better. Who could just take my heart, my life, my every thought, my every word, my every intention, and tie it to the cross. Tie it to him. And if the object of our worship is right, not only does he cleanse us from all our sin, but he lives through us and produces fruit that we couldn't imagine. Okay, real quickly, we're going we're gonna, to... Why does God do this? Why does God turn them over, he says? He turned them over. Did you see that? I think it was verse 28. Why does God give them up to these awful and destructive things? Mercy and love. Come on, Tom. You mean to say God allows all this garbage to be unleashed in people's life out of mercy and love? Yeah. Yeah, he does. Do you know why? Because his greatest longing is of Jesus is that you would look to him, that you would walk with him, that you would be blessed by him, that you'd be filled with him, that you'd be forgiven by him, that you'd be set free by him, that you'd be saved by him, that you receive new life in him, that you'd live eternally in him, that you'd find truth in him, and, and all of this other stuff is in the way. And so he allows us, when we attach our worship to the wrong things, to experience the disappointment and the destruction of all that comes along with us, because the worst and most hateful thing he could do is to bless you when you're worshiping the wrong thing, because then you never leave it. And his great hope is that we drop every other thing we're worshiping and run to him so that we could be free and forgiven and receive new life. By the mercies of God, he allows us to suffer these things. What does it look like in Gunning? Really? I think it looks a lot like really valuing, really appreciating creation. And holding that up. You know, whether we climb up or hike up or ski down or shred down a mountain or bike across it or whether we raft or kayak or fish in the rivers, or whether we um, love the blue skies. And uh, maybe we're into environmental sustainability, green practices, and, 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 and recycling, and all that stuff. Maybe we protect endangered species and wildlife. But maybe we like to hunt wildlife as we go out in, in funny clothes, and we have these long, week-long male bonding campouts where we sleep on the ground, scratch ourselves, and sit in the woods for hours on end waiting for Bambi's mom to show up so we can blow her to smithereens and mount her head above our fireplace and fill that chest freezer in a garage with our butchered carcass. I have nothing. I have nothing against hunters. <laughs> 
I just wanted to give you a hard time. I don't. I love hunters. I love everybody that I just mentioned. That stuff, everything I just mentioned is good. It's good. But it's not ultimate. God didn't create that stuff to be a stopping point of our worship. He made it to point to him, to say how great is our God. And that knowledge, if we don't move our affections from where they are in the created things, whether they be mountains or rivers or children or wives or husbands or fortunes or the plans for our life the way we hope it will turn out or boyfriends or girlfriends or freedom from parents or independence or romantic relationships or freedom from addiction or whatever to God Here's a question that all those activities, every activity in your life can either be worship, depending upon what's going on in your heart and exuding out of your life, or it can be idolatry, just based on whether we're going back to the ultimate source and pouring out all our love and devotion and celebrating and enjoying Jesus in all things. It can turn your work into worship. It can turn your marriage, your sex life within marriage into worship. It can turn your parenting into worship. It can turn your play into worship. It can turn your suffering into worship. I mentioned my dad, God bless you, a couple times, and his struggle, his two-year struggle with a, with a brain tumor. Things were not good. Um... He needed, he had the kind of tumor that had like tentacles and you couldn't get in to the parts of the brain to remove all of it because you'd have to do too much destruction, you know? And it was starting to eat away at parts of him that um, controlled his vision and controlled his ability to form words, not to think and cognitively know what he wanted to say. A very articulate man, so it's very difficult. And they decided they were going to go in and, and do another surgery. And they knew this wouldn't save his life, but they'd give him a little bit more time. And that's what he wanted. And um, the doctors kind of prepared us as he was in recovery. They said we had to remove a portion of the brain that allows him to attach the right words to what he cognitively wants to communicate. So oftentimes, and he knew, he knew we were a family of faith. So he says, um, this may be upsetting to you, but oftentimes when we do this, the only words that a patient can hang on to, that can latch on to, are vulgarity, are curse words, because of their tremendous frustration with not being able to connect the thoughts to the words. So oftentimes... They will use very offensive language and repeat those words. And they don't intend to, don't 
let it upset you. Here I'm thinking, I was 19. This might be really cool. <laughs> to have my dad in the house cussing a blue streak when I used to get in trouble for saying those things. He's coming out of surgery. Um, re- recovery. Anesthesia's wearing off. We start talking to him. And for the last six, from that moment to the last six months of his life, my father was able to say two words and two words only. Praise God. And his surgeon, who was an atheist, wept because he didn't know where this was coming from. Hey, Dad, you hungry? Praise God. Thirsty, praise God. You want to go for a walk? Praise God. (laughs) Ultimate worship. Ultimate worship can transform your suffering. Can transform your sickness. Can make ugly beautiful. It comes from your heart. We can all be here and sing all the right words, look really right. But we as parents, we have to take our kids, we have to point everything back to Christ, right? A good meal, a beautiful day, playing, snow, everything is a gift. Enjoying and celebrating the goodness and ultimate value of Christ in everything. I don't have time to worship. What? Just do it. As you go through your life and let it transform everything. I'm going to close, and I should have done this a while ago. I'm going to run out of voice because I can't have the last word on worship in one, in one message. It's too beautiful. It's too big. But it's too wonderful for you to just not think about it being more than what happens when you sing to God. You're always singing to something. Yeah. And you can't do it alone. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Those of you who are Harry Potter fans, um, there's a scene in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone where Harry is exploring one of the dark back hallways of Hogwarts School. And he comes upon a, a mirror, the mirror of Erised. Do, 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 do you guys remember that? And Erised is the, his desire spelled backwards. It's really complex. And on this mirror is etched some long mix of letters that when you reverse them and you space them correctly, the mirror says, I show not your face but your heart's desire. And so when Harry looks into the mirror, he sees his parents who were killed when he was just a baby and what appear to be relatives behind them because he longs for his greatest desire is to have his parents and the love of family back. And so he runs for his friend Ron to bring him to the mirror to see, thinking that Ron is going to see Harry's parents in the mirror. Ron doesn't see that at all. 
Ron sees himself as the captain of the Quidditch team and he's holding the, the cup because Ron so longs to step out of the shadows of his older, more successful brothers or his more popular friend, Harry. That's what he wants the most. And Dumbledore um, finally says to Harry, stay away from the mirror. The mirror gives neither knowledge nor truth and men have wasted away before it, entranced by what they see. Their greatest desire. Each one of us, most devoted to Christ and the farthest away, shares our worship to some degree. And we ought not. For there is only one who is worthy. There is only one that calls us to worship so that he might be glorified and so that you might be blessed. As you look into that mirror, I want you to picture what do you see as your greatest desire? What would that mirror reflect back to you? That is the very thing that we must do business with today. Tim Keller says we must realize where our worship is already and move it to Jesus. We're going to have a chance to to do this. Um, We're going to sing some worship. I'm going to be up here. Pour out your heart. Figure out where you're sharing worship. What's your greatest desire? Because when verse 2 of chapter 12 of Romans says the transforming of our minds, John Piper was right when he says it's not as much about right thinking, but in right valuing, right desiring. What do we desire? Let's figure that out and transfer all of that to Jesus. Amen. So if you need to pray, pray. You need to come up here. Altar's open. You want to talk? You want to pray with me? Or or someone else? We'll pray with you. Let's worship. Let's do it.